It's really a lot of storytelling. They're like mini operas, the cantatas we do are like mini operas for one person, in which you portray different characters, different emotions, and so many different vocal colors. That's Dutch soprano Josephine Stoppelenburg, who's returning to the Arizona Bach Festival this March for two performances with conductor Scott Youngs and her vocal recital titled Heroines of Baroque. We sat down for a short chat about the upcoming festival. I'm Melissa Green. Welcome to a new episode of Heart of the Arts. So you're a returning guest here with the Arizona Bach Festival. Scott Youngs was singing your praises yesterday. You'll be closing out with a a lovely Baroque program that also features harpsichord and cello. You're a Dutch soprano um, that's now based in Chicago. And I wanted to ask, because I know you do master classes um, when you visit, and I wanted to ask a little bit about your professional trajectory for um, our listeners. Yeah, so I came here from the Netherlands about 12 years ago, and I was going to just be here for one year. Um, And long story short, I met my husband here, and now I'm still here. That's a very, very short version. But um, yeah, I just reached out to a lot of musicians and organizations here, because coming out of the blue, of course, you want to work here as well. And Scott was one of the people who I met when I visited Arizona and we made some music together and then he's hired me for a lot of things. Um, so yeah, I studied in Amsterdam in the Netherlands and then in Cologne in Germany for a few years. And um, Baroque music has always been an enormous passion of me, but it's actually not what I really started into. I did a lot of just oratorio and chamber music um, and, you know, wanted to look into opera as well, because, you know, that's what singers do. And I remember going to Cologne, mainly for that reason, because it's such a big opera country. And going there and basically being hired just to do Bach. Um, so <laughs> maybe this is what I'm meant to be doing. And my voice is really happy in Baroque music. I love the text sensitivity of it, the enormous emotion, the really individual expression you can put into it. it makes me very happy. And it's very bubbly music. It's very vigorous. It's noble. I love the more transparent texture of Baroque music. And I love teaching it as well. And it, it really asks for singers to have a great agility in the voice or so lots of movement, which my voice is very happy in doing. So I, I feel like a fish in the water doing that music. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's kind of like people, when, when they talk about opera music, it's kind of, it involves everything, you know, dancing, movement, uh, just everything that you could want with, um, when it comes to the arts and, and performance overall. So you mentioned, you know, Baroque music is kind of just your, kind of your bread and butter. Uh, what is one of your favorite things about you know, just kind of, I, I don't want to say perfecting a, a piece of music by Bach or Handel, but, you know, it's so rewarding when you kind of get a piece down. And I'm just wondering how that is for you and what is the most, one of the most challenging things? I yeah. Do. So what I love about the Baroque pieces is that specifically the pieces actually we do in the Arizona Bach Festival They're just great stories. It's really a lot of storytelling. They're like mini operas. The cantatas we do are like mini operas for one person in which you portray different characters, uh, different emotions, and so many different vocal colors. And um, that's the challenge, I think, of having things vocally sound, that it's technically 
uh, uh, right, that it sits well in the voice. And it's very challenging. You know, you have to really prepare the voice well that you you go from high to low, fast, slow, long lines, and then infuse everything with personal emotion, with the breath and with feeling. So it becomes a very unique interpretation. And that's, I think, what I like most about these pieces. You can never get away with just one vocal color. You have to open the bag and let it all out. And that's that's what I love about it. That balancing act of making sure it comes out properly. So that's the good technique. And then really use the voice as an instrument for storytelling. Yes, yes. It's very much storytelling. And the title of the performance is Heroines of the Baroque. And some of these stories, you know, there's a ton of background and they're dealing with really heavy stuff. So um, can you talk about one of the characters and just kind of maybe your process of of embodying that before the performance? Yeah, sure. Um, so the rebels and revenge, it, it kind of highlights the power of women, in my opinion. It's sort of a power girl program, if you will. And um, some of the composers on the program are just very inspiring women composers, like Shaker Laguerre, Barbara Strotz, who had a great career in a time that, that was very unusual for women. They made their own money. They were good business women, so to speak. And they wrote fantastic music. And so it's either a really good uh, female composer or a story about a woman that did something like pivotal in history, like Lucrezia. Uh, like, for example, the Lucrezia story. This is about uh, a woman that in the time of the Roman uh, Empire, she gets um, raped by Tarquinius. It's a terrible story. Uh, but instead of just, you know, lamenting with it that her action after it changes the whole history because after that uh the the empire turns into a republic and you see her go from horror and disgust to sort of a, a, a foreseeing a new path for um for the the world she lives in so that's very powerful and um let me see. One funny one is the uh, Bach Cantata Heute Noch, which is from the Coffee Cantata. Now, when Bach lived, this was the time that coffee became very popular. And <laughs> this cantata talks the story of Lieschen, which is like Eliza, sort of in German. And she's fond of coffee. She just cannot get enough of it. And her father says, now, girl, you can drink coffee. But if you keep doing that, I will not allow for you to marry. <laughs> and she manages because they thought you know women shouldn't do that yes. but she manages by the end of the cantata to have both and the man she thinks is really sexy and to drink all the coffee she likes so it's just like a win-win <laughs> um has it become part of your career to give voice to uh these I don't know if I should say underrated, but just, you know, these women who haven't been brought to light or just maybe not enough. Has that been a part of your trajectory or is that something that's become more important for you over the years? No, I've done it for many years before it became more of an item. And I'm so glad that the, how do you say this in English, the canon of classical music is just expanding mm -hmm. that all those pieces are being added because they're fantastic pieces out there. I have an early music group here in Chicago called Black Tulip, 
And we've done a lot of pieces by Shaguer Laguerre, by Strozzi, by Francesca Caccini before it really became a hot item because mm. it's really fantastic stuff. And I'm so glad that it becomes more normal for people to program it. Yeah. And so you're also uh, joined by your husband on harpsichord. Yes, and he is actually from Arizona originally. Okay. Um, but he left there when he was about 18 or 19 and then studied in um, at the Eastman School of Music and then came to Chicago. And that's where I met him. But we actually go to Arizona pretty often because his mom still lives there. Uh, but this is the first time that he performs at the Bach Festival. And we love performing together. We have great musical chemistry. It always just feels so good to make music together and we've performed a lot of these pieces together uh, so he's a harpsichordist an organist and a conductor uh so we, we're a very noisy couple that's for sure <laughs> and um you'll also uh you also have a cellist featured on the rest yes of the her name is sarah Walder amata and i haven't met her yet but mm. i look forward very much to meeting her oh excellent so you kind of um and this happens i know more so lately but I feel like it's always been a thing, especially with touring musicians. They practice alone. And then because some audience members don't understand that sometimes you just have a few rehearsals together, you know, to make oh, yes. to make that happen. How often do you how often do you find yourself, you know, traveling and coming together with a musician and saying, We've got a couple days to nail everything down, you know, what what, yeah. what is that process like? Oh, it's it's that's a constant, especially in in our time right now where you know, often are just a few rehearsals and then you have to just do the thing. It's a little different often in, in opera productions where there are several weeks for people to kind of solidify it and have all the, the acting as part of it. But especially in concert work, that's often how it happens. But I like that I, I am a very maniacal preparer. I always completely over-prepare and then at, that really shortens the rehearsal process together. And another reason I do that, I feel like if I really prepare, I can at the moment of a concert, let go and let the music sort of flow through me, which I think is the only reason you, you practice is that you can let go and let the music take over. Yes. So do you have um, acting experience or did that kind of just intertwine itself and, and kind of come about? It definitely is. And I really love that part. I think about what I would do and listen to the music to think what would a gesture be? What would, what is the emotion and how would I express that? And it's a good thing to know that in those days, that was what was often expected. If you look at the Handel's Messiah, the very first performance in 1742 in Dublin, the alto soloist that Handel hired was not primarily a singer. She was an actress sang a little bit so he coached her on the singing but he wanted her because she had this great way of drama about her of storytelling in her gestures in her face that really brought the house down and I think as singers we don't often think about it you know there's this expression of park and bark you just stand there and deliver your notes but that's not what they wanted at all they really wanted your personality that's what i love so much about this music i can really infuse it with my personality my interpretation of it i'm not a little cog in a in a big wheel uh i just can really 
put my whole soul into it. So um, in in regards to the master classes you do here in Phoenix, can you tell us a little bit about what you teach? Yeah, so I teach a lot of um, master classes specifically for Baroque vocal performance. Um, it depends on the person I'm working with. Sometimes I work with choirs. Uh, I do like melisma boot camps. So a melisma is like a very quick uh, vocal run, like. like that quick stuff my voice is happy to do it but a lot of singers don't know how to practice it so when they sing a Handel Messiah or a Bach St. John Passion they sometimes struggle with that and I teach them how to practice it so that's sort of a technical aspect that I do a lot and the other is really the interpretation of the music the the rhetoric that's such a big part of Baroque music slightly different vocal use as you probably know it's just a bit more of a focused sound the vibrato was a little bit less wide than it is now all has a reason the instruments are a little bit louder the the orchestras are bigger so the the voice has to change with that but in baroque time the whole style of singing was just a little bit different so we talk about those things and i love teaching that because people can really get into this place of, of deep personal expression, which is great. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those mediums that I feel like would take a while to break into and be comfortable doing. I, I think it depends on what your background is. If, if your idea is always being that the voice needs to be big and have a wide vibrato and a constant sound, then it can takes a little bit of a shift, but if you quickly step away from that, make everything just a little bit lighter and think primarily from the text, mm-hmm. which is kind of the essential thing in Baroque music, it's all from the text, that actually becomes quite easy. You, you become more an actor with the voice instead of just the instrument. You really become a storyteller. How important is improvisation in Baroque music or even just, you know, your approach to teaching and and just starting? Yeah, no, it is very important. I mean, a big part of um, singing in the Baroque time was ornamentation. And it's something that you can kind of think of it as a jazz musicians now. You know, they, they just they have all these riffs and they, they kind of, go with the flow and they they can play with that and most classical musicians are not really trained in that it's not part of the education they're very much you do what it says on the page yeah Uh, you know if you're an instrumentalist and you play symphony by Mahler Mahler is basically yelling to you from the grave (laughs) because everything is written out not too fast here not too slow there not uh but in baroque music you basically get more the skeleton of the music with which you then start playing. Mm-hmm. So it's a very different approach. Actually, my husband who teaches at Northwestern University at the School of Music, one of his classes that he teaches is ornamentation for singers. Mm-hmm. So they know how to play with it. And it's very fun because it's very creative. You, you know, kind of get to live in the moment. And I've experienced that if I perform with a really good Baroque group, in a moment of a concert, I can just throw out an ornament and they'll pick it up directly and do the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's rare because you have to be super alert. But that's mm-hmm. an incredibly fun part of it. And it was also used to really show off the good parts of your voice. 
Um, and, you know, singers would be very insulted if a composer would write that out for you. So if Handel would have written out all the ornaments that the singers would have said, no, 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 that's my job. You don't, you yeah. don't do that. Same as for a jazz musician. For Bach, it was a little bit different because he worked not with the most cosmopolitan super opera stars. He had more like local people. So he wrote out his things a little bit more than Handel would have done. So that's why we don't ornament as much in Bach. Yeah. And, and throughout all the centuries, it's, it's a lot of it is up to um, the musician's interpretation, you know? Absolutely. And you can argue about it and say, you oh, know, yes, these ornaments were written here. So that's how the composer actually wanted it, or maybe not, you know? Oh, totally. And I've worked with different conductors, like both of very high standing. I would do one ornament with the one and the one loved it and then take it to the other one. Like, no, 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 absolutely not. So very personal opinions about those things. <laughs> yes, yes, it gets really personal. Um, uh, speaking of personal, how has it been over the last couple of years? Were you doing um, a lot of virtual performances? Were you spending more time? I know you're a recording artist. What were what were you really focused on? I yeah, uh, gosh, I did a lot of things. It was a very busy time, but just in a very different way. I recorded a CD called Modern Muses um, uh, for the Navona label, which is contemporary music, actually, music for just voice and cello. And these are pieces that never before had been recorded. And it was just artistically very satisfying to do that. And the album won like a bronze award in some... Uh, global thing so that was that was nice and i made a lot of videos for all my husband's organizations he conducts uh, several choirs and orchestras so i i learned a lot about video editing so <laughs> that's a new skill i acquired i taught a lot more online and i made a lot of painted commissions painting is my second life so um yeah that that got a little busier yeah, I read that you recently illustrated a children's book. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So this is a book I did with my sister, actually. Now, she is a singer as well. She's a mezzo, but she sings more romantic repertoire. But we actually started our career as a vocal duo. So uh, our voices blend really well together. We've performed in most Dutch concert halls and toured all over the world. And right now we have an ensemble with a piano duo of two brothers. So we're called Brothers and Sisters and it's that's very fun. But during the pandemic, she wrote a beautiful children's story about a boy overcoming his fears with the help of this magical flying horse. She's three children. So this was she's a very good storyteller. And then I just started illustrating and uh, we finished it. And then the publisher in the Netherlands published it, but we're actually now in the process of translating it and proposing it to uh, publishers in the state. So hopefully we'll get it done in English as well. Oh, that sounds so cool. I love that background. And was your family really musical? Has that kind of trickled down? Oh, yes. Yeah, my parents are both musicians. My dad is a composer and uh, he used to conduct all kind of um, oratorio societies and orchestras. And my mom is a pianist. So we really grew up in music, but I think the decision to become a musician was really singing in a choir with other people. Um, I was a pretty intense violinist as well for a long time, but just, you know, doing your skills and your attitude to the teacher was not as exciting as the magic of making music with a big group of kids. So that's, 
that's a great love of me, just groups of people singing. And um, what would you, what advice would you give to either young performers or ways to inspire new listeners of classical music? You know, that's a hot topic of how do we reach younger audiences and obviously going into the schools and kind of meeting, meeting them where they are is one of, I think, the greatest things that mm -hmm. artists can do. Well, I think for a lot of young students regarding to classical music is that I feel that a lot of them has this, have this sense that classical music is this sort of mold you have to fit yourself into, but it doesn't really ask for your personality. You have to fit to what's already there. I, and I think that's, I understand that feeling because there's so much about it needs to be correct and all those kind of things. But honestly, what classical music needs, I feel, is really personalities, is strong interpretation, not another copycat, another perfect boring version of uh, Mozart or Bach, this and that, but really a very personal interpretation. That's how I perform and that's how I try to inspire my students, because why would you do it otherwise? It's already out there. Everything is being recorded 500 times. It needs to be your story. Otherwise, there's really no use doing it. And, and as an audience, I would try to support the people who have this strong, authentic voice. Yeah. Yeah, that's a perfect, actually, um, response is just bringing your own personality into it. Because yeah, today, it can still be so intimidating. Mm -hmm. So since you mentioned your husband is from Arizona and you visit often, what is one of your favorite things about coming back to the desert or performing here? Well, living in Chicago, it's always just a joy to see the nicer weather. <laughs> and we visit there several times a year uh, to visit family. We love to go to Sedona and uh, just feel the sun, uh, take walks. Uh, I always get very scared hearing the coyotes because it's, it's very magical to me. <laughs> but the, the nature out there is really beautiful. And I wish we had more time to really explore Arizona a little bit more. Uh, last time we were there, we drove from Arizona to California. So I got to see a little bit more of the landscape. It's really spectacular. It's such a beautiful state. Well, like it was mentioned, you're a returning favorite here at the Bach Festival. And I think there's a lot for our audience members and listeners to look forward to. Well, I think the performance in Arizona will just be really exciting for audiences because it's great storytelling. There are a lot of emotions. There are a lot of vocal acrobatics. Really, the pieces go all over the place. It's like a, it's really like an Olympic <laughs> Olympic endeavor to do this concert. But I, I love the combination that we have with harpsichord. We do some pieces with organ. So it's going to be a very satisfying concert. And we'll also talk about the pieces to the audience so they really feel connected with the pieces. I love that, to create the connection directly with the people. Josephine, it was so nice chatting with you. Thank you again for taking the time for KBOC and Heart of the Arts today. And we look forward to your performance coming up in March. Thank you so much for giving some time to this. I really look forward to performing there. And I, I hope to meet you there. It would be lovely. Likewise. And thanks thank again. Thank you. Bye-bye, Melissa. That's Dutch soprano Josephine Stoplenberg, who returns to the Arizona Bach Festival this March. She'll be performing with conductor Scott Young Sunday, March 12th at 3 p.m. in Magnificent Magnificats and on Tuesday, March 14th in her vocal recital titled Heroines of Baroque.
For more information and tickets, visit ArizonaBachFestival.org. For KBOX Heart of the Arts, I'm Melissa Green.